Hello, and thank you for listening to Cornerstone Conversations, a podcast by Cornerstone in Fort Worth, Texas. My name is Jeremy McNair. I'm the worship pastor at Cornerstone. And today we are the original crew again with David and Bobby. They are both speaking pastors here at Cornerstone. And together we are digging into the content of the book of 1 Corinthians. This podcast is purposefully designed in a way that we want to be able to engage with our listeners as best as we can. And so if you have any questions, comments, feedback, or anything that you just want to add to the conversation, we'd love for you to be a part by texting the number 817-809-3040. We'll get your message and we'll be able to respond to all of the very best questions as we can and allow two-way communication to happen as we have these cornerstone conversations. So let's get started. This week, we are in the third chapter of 1 Corinthians, and there's some verses that I really want to bring up to begin with that maybe have been popularized and ripped out of context, you know, where we read the book and some of these verses really seem very familiar because we've heard them in different situations. Maybe they're not exactly what we think they are. So Bobby, why don't you start? Let's talk about some of these verses that maybe have been ripped away from their original meaning. Sure. Let's consider there's at least three major sections of scripture in three paragraph issues here in chapter three that are commonly taken out of context. Mm -hmm. So let's start with context. Context is everything. It's one of the reasons why we keep circling back to tell our congregation, again, the verses were not added. The verse structure, the chapter. The the verse numbers. The verse numbers and the chapter was not added until the 1500s. So consider that for 1,500 years, the New Testament church read their Bible in a very different way than we read it. They read it in paragraph form as it was written, and they wouldn't so much maybe in their devotion time say, hey, I'm going to read chapter one, verses one through 10. They would just sit down and read what was probably paragraph or maybe the entire letter in their Bible reading and just rehearse it over and over again. Yeah. So for us, we always live in a versed a numerically versed Bible with the danger that we're just going to take a verse and build, well, it's not build a theology on a verse. Typically what happens is we take a verse from here, a verse from James, a verse from Romans, a verse from Deuteronomy, a verse from Genesis, cobble them together with some super glue. Mm. And now we see we have a built a theology, a theological framework that we believe super, super dangerous. It's a compilation of sentences at that point. You're creating a story from a ripped up assortment of sentences. And it's so easy to take a sentence out of context and scratch your head and look at that and say, wow, should I be? The example we keep using is, you know, there's this phrase here in first Corinthians that those who have wives yeah, should act as though they don't. <laughs> as, as if they didn't have wives. <laughs> Which oh, is great. obviously problematic in its own. <laughs> Correct. So, I mean, are you just going to take that verse and tell all sure. of our married men, just act like you don't just act like you're a bachelor. Listen, that's going to destroy your marriage this week. Yeah. I mean, so obviously there's a lot of danger and that's just a, a very blatant example. So we keep circling back and saying, read the paragraph, locate the meaning of the paragraph, locate now what is your verse in that paragraph yeah. and keep it within its framework of context. A, it'll make more sense and B, you won't be chasing rabbits in, into false theologies. There are three sets of scriptures in chapter three 
that are often taken out of context. Yeah. And first one is the first few verses. Let me re- just read the first three verses. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak unto you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you still are not ready because you're still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly? Behaving like mere humans. We told the congregation Sunday, mere humans, just think unsaved humans right there. But the two words that are really, really problematic are worldly and people of the flesh in Mm -hmm. those first three verses. Mm -hmm. And so when you just read that without the broader context, you say, okay, well, they're he can't speak to them as spiritual. They're people of the flesh. They're not spiritual. They're worldly. Well, there must be multiple classes of Christians then. Hmm. Worldly Christians and carnal or, or you know, sure. fleshly Christians or maybe more spiritual. There's, there must be different tiers of Christians. That's certainly not what Paul is trying to say. Right. Yeah. What Paul is trying to say is that the Corinthians were trying <laughs> They were living out a tiered structure, and it was absolutely not acceptable for someone who is a follower of Christ to still think like the world and live like the world, behave like the world years after your conversion. In other words, following Christ, that, that receiving of Christ as your Savior, making him King and Lord of your life demands transformation. It demands a shift in our thinking. Uh, you can call it a different worldview, a different perspective, that yielding to the Holy Spirit is a process of saying, you know, before I would have seen it this way, but now I'm starting to see it as the Holy Spirit, as, as God sees it. Which pairs off of the end of chapter two really nicely, because what is a spiritual person? It's someone who has the mind of Christ. There you go. And there's this constant play back and forth that Paul's doing through these first four chapters, actually, but as it pertains to three and two, there's this constant back and forth that Paul's making this contrast where even in verse three that you just read, because you are still worldly, they're still possessing some worldly philosophy, worldly ideals, as opposed to adopting the mind of Christ. And so what someone, a modern reader might see that, take that one verse though, out of its context and say, well, you see, I got saved years ago, but I just, you know, if I were honest, I am worldly, and that's okay right. that I'm worldly. See, Paul even acknowledges that that is a legitimate thing. That can happen. See, and that would be our thing, but that's <laughs> right. the opposite of what right. Paul's saying. Right. He's saying it's not okay to be worldly and have a tiered system. So the questions that would come off of taking this out of context would be like, well, then is salvation really eternal, or can you lose it, or can you be saved mm-hmm. and not have the Holy Spirit? None of those are the question Paul is dealing with. Right. Paul's dealing with the question of, we led you to Christ, or I led you to Christ. You are born again. Mm-hmm. Their salvation is clearly evidenced in chapter one. Yeah. Even here in verse number one, I could not speak unto you as spiritual people, as people of the flesh, babies. But notice this next thing, in Christ. In Christ, yeah. They are all in Christ, and he's acknowledging that. And what he's saying is it's not acceptable to be in Christ and still years after your conversion, not to have made any progress in yielding to the spirit of God for transformation. So when I think about it, what it seems like is what we do with the text is we have a question that I want answered. 
So all the things that you've just addressed, like, is there multiple tiers of Christianity? Can you lose salvation? Whatever it might be. I have that question in my mind. And so then I begin to look for texts that will sound similar or produce some sort of answer neatly and cleanly, regardless of what the context of the paragraph is. I'll pull a verse out and go, we'll see. Because, because this answers my question right because here. Because the language sounds similar yes. to maybe a contemporary right. problem that's running through our heads. We think this is the answer to our contemporary problem. Again, this is a specific letter written to a that's specific right. people. What, right. What's your term? Occasional, occasional letter is the word yeah, you yeah. use a lot. It's an occasional letter written for a specific occasion. Yeah. And to overlay all of our yes. questions onto that text. And presuppositions. It's reading backwards. It, correct. It, it's, it's not allowing the Bible to say what it says to then say to us. It's yeah. rather it's... it's You're making it answer a yes. question it wasn't yes. written to answer. Right. That is correct. The second passage that is maybe misused, misapplied, is the section of verses between 10 and 15. So that's chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And let me just... I'll just paraphrase a little bit of this. I've laid the foundation mm-hmm. as a skilled master builder. And now another builds on it, but each one is to be careful how he builds for no one can lay any other foundation that which is laid. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. And if you build on that, he starts talking about some building material now, gold, silver, costly stones, or with wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. There's a day of fiery trial, judgment coming, and it's going to reveal Mm -hmm. the way everyone built on that foundation is going to be revealed. So now I guess the way this text is misused is this has been often preached in evangelical circles as applying to the individual. And they'll pair it maybe with something Jesus said in a parable about building a house on a rock or sand and the storms came and beat upon it, you know, and and it fell and great was the fall thereof. And see, look, now over here in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying, If you build upon this foundation, you know, but that's not really what's being said here. Mm -hmm. This is, there's nothing here in this paragraph that addresses individual lives being built upon Jesus Christ. The context here is you collectively, the church are building somebody, you you guys are building where I left off. Mm -hmm. I was with you. And, you know, David, we were just researching some of the dates freshly again, but maybe three, five years, no more than 10, I think. Mm, Yeah, no way. Yeah. He had been there three to five years earlier, had stayed with them, you know, had led them to Christ, forged them together. Three to five years have passed. He's now dealing with the situations in the congregation that have devolved, where things have run amok. And he's trying to say, you know, I really care about you. I've got this disciple maker, disciple relationship with Mm -hmm. you. And suddenly you've outgrown me and you want to cast me off as not being spiritual. And you guys are like in your own mind, super spiritual. And I'm saying to you, I laid a great foundation for the church at Corinth. And now you other leaders are building on it. This is all collectively. This is not an individual application. And that may seem subtle to those who are listening right now. But it makes a big difference in how you apply the text. Well, and the way that I've heard this particular passage preached is this is about your individual work 
and what sort of reward you'll receive when we're at the Bema seat of at Christ or whatever. Of Christ, that's yeah. correct. Yeah, the judgment seat of Christ. Yeah. And, and that doesn't seem to be Paul's point in context as you look at the paragraph as a whole. Right, Paul's, because again, it, sometimes we can overlay good yes. practical yes. truths found elsewhere Absolutely. in the Bible and put it into a, a passage that was never meant to say those good things. Sure. Like, obviously what we do matters. Absolutely. And obviously the way that we... And there is a judgment seat. Right. The way that we live out rewards. our lives. We believe these it, things. Exactly. Yes. So so obviously there are times that we can read good things in a text right. that just meant to say a different good thing. So then what is right. the good thing that this one is trying to say? I want to answer this one. So as I was Absolutely. as I was reading this, I was thinking through some of this, and you can fill in or interrupt me wherever, but I was just thinking like, I think Paul's point really is not a focus on the building material itself or a focus on the individual itself. Paul's whole point is however you build, with whatever gifts you possess, or in this metaphor, whatever building materials you have, the whole point is that you have to be building in line with what the foundation is. And the foundation is Jesus Christ found in verse 11 there. Which That's again, point. we've got the whole issue of milk versus solid food earlier, yep. right? And it's this idea that the Corinthians wanted so much loftier right. of information to be given to them. They wanted to live their lives in a way that was so much more decadent than they thought the gospel afforded to them. Hmm. Whereas Paul's saying, remember, the gospel is primary. Right. The milk that I've given to you is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's not a minimal thing to just shrug off. Right. And that's very similar to what you're saying now. Obviously and ultimately, Christ has to be central. There's a big element in this passage, too, about I laid... Now I'm moving on in somebody else's building. And let's talk about that in a minute. Let's don't deal with it right now. But there's some generational language being used here about, you know, I was there. I was directly investing in you. We're building collectively together the church at Corinth. But now I'm in Ephesus or now I'm somewhere else and others are building. Big warning. There's several big warnings. Be careful how you build. Yep. It's almost as if Paul's passed the torch. So let's don't answer that yet, but yeah, let's circle we'll to back it. to that in a minute because I want to talk about passing the torch. Let me stay on the track here. The third passage that gets taken out of context and, and maybe misapplied is verse 16 and 17. And let me just read it. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and that's what you are. And as I said Sunday, the misapplication of this again is to the individual. In the Greek language, you is collective you. Yeah, it can it's be. plural. Mm-hmm. The no. way we would say in the South here in Texas, you all. Yeah. And so let me just read it that way now, and this, it'll feel a little different. Mm-hmm. Don't you all know that you all are God's temple, and that the Spirit of God lives in you all. Mm-hmm. If anyone destroy God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that's what y'all are. Mm. And so it's a very collectively yeah. worded two sentences, two verses in your Bible. And what Paul's saying is, you all collectively are God's temple. Remember, he's used three illustrations mm-hmm. here, you know, like, the church is God's farm. Yep. You know, now let's go to the construction site. Sure. The church is God's building. And now he gets the third one. The church is, again, collectively y'all are God's temple, not individually. Now, again, yeah. this circles mm-hmm. back to what you guys just said. 
there are other passages in the Bible. In chapter six of this same letter. Yep. Where Paul is addressing in chapter six, your example is connecting your life to that of a prostitute. Right. And he's saying you're joining the temple of God to mm-hmm. the, you know, a temple of prostitutes or whatever. And you two are one flesh. And can't you see that that's going to be a problem? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we might read a passage like that yeah. and then circle back here and say, well, he must be talking about the individual. He's not exactly. because the context of chapter three is y'all. collectively as the church. Right. Well, and the reason that's important, that feels like a fine hair to split, right? But the reason that's important is because if we're going to have any understanding from the text, then we have to know what each particular text says in order for it to teach us that particular thing at that moment. Paul's not just saying a blanket thing. He's saying specific things at specific moments. And if we want to understand what he's really trying to say, the point that he's trying to make, then we have to be able to split hairs like this in yeah. order to understand more fully what he actually is trying to say. Well, I've heard this verse taken and ripped out of its context as a justification for someone no longer being engaged within a local church body. Hmm. So they say, uh, that's interesting. I yeah. know that my body is the temple of God. I right. don't need Correct. to be in fellowship with other people Correct. because I know myself that I am God's temple and the spirit of God lives in me. Right. Individually. And, right. And so now that is a justification then hmm. for no longer being engage within a, a faith community. Which, so you can imagine the problem there. Which would be 180 degrees. What he means. From what Paul means. Right, right. Because the whole point of this then is yeah. to say, don't you guys realize that your collection of unity is the temple of God? Don't you realize the gravity that the church body should hold in the way that you uphold it? See, now you've hit the nail on the head because remember what is Paul addressing here? Right. They've got a unity problem. Yeah. You could say it another way. They've got a division problem and they're dividing the congregation into ownership groups into maybe we'll see later as we do with the Lord's Supper and other things, maybe into some socioeconomic groups. Mm-hmm. And so they're dividing the congregation into to groups. And Paul it keeps saying to them through all of these metaphors and language, no, 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 unify, unite. Even with he and Apollos, he said, don't you dare use us as a reason to divide the congregation. You remember what we talked about Sunday? We, we are servants yeah. Yeah. and you can't belong to a servant. Right. We all belong. And that's really the big point he's going to make in this yeah. chapter. There's no room for division because we all belong to God mm-hmm. through Jesus Christ. So stop with all the divisions. Let me circle back to something Jeremy just said again. If you apply this to the individual, which is a misapplication and, and not to the corporate body, you do get this thing of, well, I'm God's temple and, you know, and I can kind of do whatever I want to do divorced from the church. When I just said that out loud, I said a true statement and then a false statement. Right. I am God's temple individually. Yeah, absolutely. I take it even further. I'm an icon. I'm a living image of God now yes. that I'm born again. And that is a true statement. That's not what Paul is talking about here. You're back Sorry. in Genesis 2 and in other passages. Yeah. Here he's saying, do not divide the church because you all together are God's temple. And I just want to shout out at this. I think the way we said it Sunday is we, cornerstone believers, represent God in North Fort Worth. Yeah, We are his temple collectively. His spirit abides in us. When we meet, God is here meeting with us. Mm-hmm. And in a very big picture sense, the world offers all of its wisdom and the world offers all of its things. And God is saying, well, when my church assembles, they are my alternative. Mm. 
This is where you can connect with my spirit and my message and my wisdom and my people and experience the love of Christ, not the love that the world offers, which is very kind of a selfish thing. This one is a very selfless thing. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're God's alternative, we the church, to what the world is offering. And we need to get back to a very high view of church. We often talk about a high view of scripture, which means yeah. you have a great respect for yeah. scripture. Yeah. I would like to challenge our congregation and and all of our listeners to have a high view of church in our modern context is as you said jeremy there's a very individualistic bent in in the modern christian that says you know i can do this whole christian thing apart from the church on my own yeah paul would 100 percent disagree (laughs) with that sentiment yeah Mm -hmm. and he would say no you can't and that is not what god intended god intended community and unity And a great deal of respect for the church, which is his body. And even in that example that we're talking about right there, that is borrowing worldly wisdom. Mm -hmm. Exactly what you've, that's what you've just even said. There is a worldly aspect of individualism that I'm now trying to cohere with what Paul is trying to say. And when I do that, I actually negate what he says. That's correct. And so I'm bringing in this individualistic mindset. I'm bringing in this, this secularism mindset that says I can have the kingdom of God on my own without anybody else. And I can do whatever I want, make whatever decisions I want. And I'm going to have the kingdom without the king. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole point of what Paul is saying here is that's worldly wisdom. You're that's exactly bringing what he's that speaking in. against. Well, and it's antithetical to the mind of Christ. That's right. Which even in, a, in verse 18, then he says, don't allow yourself to be deceived. Yeah. But not even that. Don't allow you to deceive yourself. Let yeah, no yeah, one deceive yeah. himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. And this yeah. is clearly a callback to just the last yeah. chapter mm-hmm. where Paul's even saying, I came with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but instead on God's power. And we, we learned that, you know, it's all about the wisdom of Christ and dwelling with his Spirit so we can right. fully understand it. As long as we are operating out of an understanding of our own wisdom, mm. then we are creating a, a pseudo kingdom like you're talking mm. about. Yeah, that's what's well, we we we, the three of us, come from very similar traditions. Mm. So a Baptist tradition, evangelical tradition, some would call that a Protestant tradition. I was at a Catholic funeral just very recently, some weeks ago, and it's outside of my tradition, obviously, but as I was there supporting the family and and watching how the funeral played out, there were, let me think, three family members that had speaking moments Mm -hmm. or readings and eulogies in the service at the Catholic church. And I was a little bit awed with just the respect that the congregation seemed to have for the atmosphere, the church, the priest and deacon who were on the platform. Yeah. And I'm not saying we should, you know, I'm sure. not advocating sure. we should do what I'm about to say, but I just noticed that when they stepped to the platform, the young lady, one of the young ladies that was reading the scripture, just bowed her head very reverently and acknowledged that the, you know, she was about to step into the holy place, if you would, and step up to the lectern and Mm. read the word of God and speak on God's behalf and acknowledge the priest. It was just a very reverential moment. And again, I'm not advocating we revert back to some high church thing. What I am advocating, though, is maybe in the Protestant families, we've lost a little bit of respect Mm -hmm. for the sacredness of what God has now called through Paul, his temple. 
The yeah. assembly of believers is my temple. Well, look at how strongly he speaks against the destruction of his temple, which we know to be right. the church body. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy. And that is what you are. Yeah. Another one of those strong warnings, like be not deceived, yeah. be careful how you build, right. you know, these are strong warnings in the text. And we keep circling back to the question, why did Paul say that? Because someone obviously is self-deceived, thinking their individualism is bigger than the mm. church. Mm -hmm. And Paul's like, no, let's get this right. The church is God's temple, and he takes it very seriously that you are filled with his spirit there, and you are representing him in the community. I mean, the pagan temples are down the street. We all know where they're at. That one represents, you know, Dionysus or Bacchus or, you know, or, yeah. or whatever temples they had there. And this temple represents me. And I'm going to take that very serious. And I want you to take it serious. Yeah, yeah that's good. There are several places in chapter three where the language is interesting. It kind of stands out on the page as, wow, that's interesting for Paul to phrase it that way. Mm -hmm. It may not be very Pauline or it sure. may be, you know. Uh, you've read his other writings, and there are several places here where we are very certain, say totally 100%, sure. but almost certain, Paul has flipped their language back on them. Yeah. We talked about in 1 Corinthians, if you read it right, you'll read Paul asking these rhetorical questions and being super sassy. That's a good way to say it. Sarcastic. Huh. Yeah. He uses sarcasm. As a way to rebuke the church, he asks questions that have an obvious, well, duh, answer, yeah, right. a no-brainer, obvious answer. Right. Now, here's the problem. 2,000 years later, it may not be a no-brainer answer. Right. But to them, they absolutely True. knew that he was being sassy, to use your well, language. Because they had just used these words to first. him. And so then they hear him repeating the same things yeah. that they had just said. This is why we keep talking about what is the zero point entry right. of the Corinthians right. letter exchange, right. because they knew when he's being, you know, rhetorical in nature to them, he's really calling back to the words that they just yep. said to him. Some of those things are, you know, all you do is feed us with milk. Yeah. That's a very sassy zero Corinthians <laughs> thing. They, they said to him, yeah. yeah. Now Paul flips it yeah. and says, well, yeah, I fed you with milk because I know you keep saying, give us a T-bone steak, but you were not ready and you still right. are not ready. Yeah. And that belongs to people who have maturity and, and y'all are immature. And here's the whole rub. They think they are spiritual elites. And again, they have slogans and you'll catch in the New Testament, sometimes a sing-songy type saying, mm -hmm. Or something will be repeated multiple times in a letter. It's very clear in 1 Corinthians that one of their slogans in the congregation was, we are of, or we belong to, mm -hmm. is a, maybe a better way to say it. We belong to Paul. We belong to Apollos. We belong to Peter. We belong to Jesus. Or we belong to fill in the fill blank. In the blank. Yeah. And our modern application we kept saying is, insert celebrity pastor sure. here. Sure. We belong to this particular camp. And so Paul is going to continually turn that saying back on them and saying, yeah, not so much. We belong to Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and he belongs to God. Therefore, all things belong to us. Knock it off with all this we belong to. Right. You know, we are just servants. You can't belong to us. Yep. Uh, slaves have no ownership. 
there are sarcasm moments yeah where again the zero corinthians context of this these exchanges that have gone back and forth between paul and the corinthian church where they have tried to say to paul we are so spiritually deep and so spiritually mature and so spiritually elite wisdom 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 we know we know we know again uh, david you talked a lot about this in one of your sermons this greco-roman culture Mm -hmm. valued yeah orators yeah great public speakers you know the pursuit of philosophy the world's wisdom you know Plato and socrates and Mm -hmm. at all and so you'll find paul using little jabs little barbs (laughs) along the way where he uses phrases like do you not know (laughs) don't you know how can you not how could you not know because you guys have told me you know everything exactly so how could you not know do you not know and then he'll lay out a little argument there yeah Uh, other phrases like in chapter three he used this phrase well if anyone thinks he is wise Hmm. Which clearly they do. Which clearly they thought they were wise <laughs> yeah. and they were smarter yeah. than Paul. And so Paul's going to say, well, if you really think you're wise, then yeah. you'll have to acknowledge that this is the truth. Right. You know? So as you're reading and you see mm. those little phrases, you know, don't you know? Or, uh, <laughs> you know, if anyone was wise, they would, those are sassy, sassy Paul, uh, sarcastic barbs being exchanged between Paul and the Corinthians. And, and actually, so in, this is important for us to talk about, not only for the context of chapter three, but, and I don't want to give too much away. I'm going to preach a sermon on it and talk about it next week as well. But chapter four, there's a huge chunk where Paul is sassy Paul for a long time. And it sounds like he's using phrases and language that they have used towards him in order to do exactly what you're saying, in order to bring them in to then instruct them and tell them actually what it's supposed to be like. And again, this is why we titled this series. Yeah zero Corinthians. Yep. And we want to just, you just repeated this, Jeremy. So I'm sorry, I'm repeating you again, but <laughs> it's, it's important for us yeah. to keep saying out loud. This is why we called it zero Corinthians, yeah. because you have to put everything in the context of this is a three to five year running discussion yep. between Paul and the Corinthians, a man and his disciples that now he's handed off to other leaders yeah. and the relationship has broken down. And, and if you just imagine how rich it would be to have all of those, what we're calling the zero Corinthians yeah. letters bound yeah. in a book and to read all that they exchanged back and forth. Well, have you ever started a TV show halfway through? I saw one episode be like, this is wild what's happening. Yeah. And you think, oh, I better go back and watch that from the beginning, yeah. you know, so you can understand the full context and understand where, where the show is going. And when it's set in context, exactly. you're like, oh, Okay. We'd love to have the entire season of First Corinthians. Co- correct. Yeah. If we had the prequel, things yeah. would be yeah. crystal Which clear that are not clear. Right. I want to say this, though. They were clear to these two parties, though. Right. What's unclear to us absolutely was clear yeah. to the Corinthians and to Paul. There was no ambiguity about what was being right. said. In fact, there's very direct specificity. <laughs> That's right. Correct. And so, again, 2,000 years later, we're reading somebody else's mail. And we don't have all the mail. Right. And so we're having to fill in the zero Corinthian blanks. You know, one thing that you mentioned earlier that you said you wanted to circle back around was the section from 10 to 15, where he starts talking about laying a foundation and other people building upon it. Yeah. When when I hear that language, you know, it really makes me think about where we are at Cornerstone. Because when I hit my 50-year mark, 
my, my 50 years at church, but my age 50, when I, when I hit my 50th birthday, you know, it made me stop and think, okay, I, I will not physically be able to do this forever. And I need to be thinking about transition. So one of the things that our elders discuss frequently, comma, one thing we as a staff discuss frequently is how things play out in the future. Mm-hmm. We have lots of discussions about, hey, in the coming years, hey, in the future years, let's remember to. And so we, we are living our lives right now with the future generation in view. I gave a stat Sunday morning and a lot of eyebrows went up. The average age of our church is 31 and a half. Yeah. We ran those numbers just, just in the fall right. to do a fresh demographic study. We have a very young church. And that doesn't mean you're not welcome here if you're under 30 or over 30. It's I just, think uh, compared to other churches, we have a very demographically diverse congregation. Correct. But the midpoint is 31 no, and a half. That is correct. And so we are obviously getting lots of, I would say even into their 20s, 20s, 30s, 40-year-olds into leadership. Mm-hmm. Lots of 20 and 30-year-olds into leadership roles, making disciples, you know, and, and volunteering and serving. Well, our deacon board in the past 12 months has gotten I mean, younger. It's probably, the average age has probably been cut in half. We, we, should, we should run the demographics on the, on the yeah. deacon board just yeah. to see what the demographics are. Yeah. That would be an interesting number to know, but it's very young. And, and we, we love that. Mm-hmm. And we're constantly thinking about, let's get the next generation in leading. Let's get them thinking leadership because obviously something has broken down at Corinth. And what has broken down is, again, it's a different era. And I'm going to acknowledge that Paul is a, an apostle, a sent one, and he's doing pioneer work in pagan communities. Mm. He goes where there are no Christians and starts to church, leads some sure. people to Christ, starts discipling them, forges them into a church. It meets in someone's home. They're off and running. Now, Paul stays a year, two, you know, yeah. moves on. Right. So a few years later, we're going to find him at Ephesus or somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. And he's doing the same thing all over again. Well, the baby church that he now has left, Corinth, has leaders, but they're reverting. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going backwards a little bit. And so Paul, a lot of this, especially in chapter three, is directed to the leaders. Right. Be careful how you build leaders. Don't segment yourself according to lead. Sure. A lot of this is directed to leadership. So here at Cornerstone, I just want to say we're very forward thinking about let's talk, let's have constant conversations about where the church goes in the next 10 years or the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. And let's get people ready to lead. And let's do that by leading with them right now. David, you know, this is something you and I have just recently had some conversations about. Yeah. So we were talking through like, why is it important to think through like the handing off? It's never handed off completely, right? Like Paul is clearly still in It's investing. a good metaphor though. Pass right. the torch. Passing yeah. the torch. Like we were talking about why it's so important. And then how do we keep the main thing, the main thing, which for Paul and for us, how do we keep the gospel central as that handing off, passing the torch, however you want to say it? Is, is, is happening between one leader to the next current leader. And so I, we were talking through kind of what that might look like. And as we were kind of discussing, we we're thinking like, as you're training people to come into the next place where you are, whatever, really what you want from them is to act like you, mm-hmm. to think like you. 
and to make decisions like you did, which doesn't that sound like our discipleship series that we did? Well, and just, just like Paul's ago? words, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's right. That's the whole point. Keeping Christ central and then do what I did, think like I thought and make decisions like right. I would. And, and that's kind of the whole, the whole thing that, that we want to see happen in a, in a leadership transfer. But, but the way that that happens is through, again, what Paul is modeling for us and what Jesus modeled for us. It happens through conversation. It happens through relationship and it happens through the circumstances of life that you'll face together. Those then become platforms by which the leader gets to train in a dynamic way, not in a static way where you write down a bunch of options that could happen on a piece of paper. Not, not but sermonizing necessarily. Right. But actual real life situations yeah. that are occurring, that becomes a platform by which the leader gets to train the people under them to, again, think like your leader to act like your leader and to make decisions that would keep with what they would, would do. And what's really important within that is, is again, because how do we keep the gospel central to all this? It's making sure that you're upholding the values that you want to see passed on. And the way that you do that is by making them a priority. So kind of the example we were kicking around is um, I want my kids to think that church is important and I want them to show up at church. So how do I display that as a value well i make it a priority in my life model you model that's it. right yeah yeah and so and so i show up to church as often as i humanly can right not not because that makes me a good or bad christian or whatever that's not that's not the point but if i want it to be a value for my kids then the way to instill it like you said is by modeling by making it a priority in my own life and then having conversations about why this is a priority and then talking through why why we do carve out time on Sunday morning and maybe on a Wednesday night or whatever other times there might be church activities to do because it is a priority and a value for us and not that we can make the decisions for our kids moving forward because ultimately they're going to have to do their part just like what we teach in discipleship but what we've done as leaders of our kids or whoever it might be is we're setting the groundwork. We're laying the foundation, exactly what Paul's talking about in chapter three. We're laying the groundwork, the foundation by which they can also begin to build on. And if they see it as a value for us, then the hope is the desire is the prayer is that they then adopt that same value and prioritize it the same way in their own lives. And so then kind of the next element or aspect of that is how do you keep kind of this, this, this all central to What's happening? How do you keep the gospel central? How do you keep God central in anybody's life? Well, the reality goes back to the same two answers. You have to live it. You have to hold it up as a value and a priority. And in doing that, you have conversations about why it's important, about why it's valued. And, and then ultimately the secret sauce to it all, I guess you could say, or the jazz of it is that the Holy Spirit has to kick in yeah. and the spirit does kick in where people are honestly seeking him. Mm-hmm. So the Holy Spirit in conjunction with how we value and how we prioritize and how we uphold the things that are really important for us, then become the setting stage for what we want our kids and other leaders to become. And this is why, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit, but this is why being fast is so important. Well, let's, let's define fast for a second. Yes. So fast is an acronym that we use to describe how our disciples can be successful yeah. in the process of spiritual maturation. And the way that they can do that is by being faithful, available, spirit-filled, and teachable. That's right. You can't be maturing in your spiritual walk unless you are faithful to the process. Right. You also have to be available to the process. Mm -hmm. You have to allow yourself to have the time and flexibility in your schedule to be faithful. And that displays a priority. Exactly. 
if you are available and you're ready to be taught or whatever, it might be in the fast. Right. And then you have to be spirit filled yes. in that we can't expect people who are without the spirit to, again, have the wisdom of the spirit. Yep. We have to have the mind of Christ. Otherwise, we're living according to, in very Corinthian language, human wisdom, which is actually foolishness, right? right. And then we have to be teachable. Yeah. If we want to be successful in our discipleship journey, we have to allow other people and the Spirit to guide, direct us, admonish us at times, but teach us. And, and what you said there is is perfect. It's the last part of my kind of overall response, our overall response to this, which is that accountability is so important. Right. Accountability and not just connection, but commitment is so important because without accountability, without that commitment by those who are wanting to come back up into the next level of leadership, you put yourself in a dangerous situation Yeah. because accountability, maybe I should say it this way, correction and encouragement. I mean, that's really what we mean when we're talking about accountability, correction and encouragement are so important. That is what Paul is doing in this letter. He's correcting and encouraging because he wants them to put their minds back on Christ. Yeah. They're making the big mess of all this other stuff. He wants to, to focus them back on the gospel as central in their lives. And whether or not they decide to make that decision, it's, it's dependent upon them. But if the spirit bears weight on them, then what they can do with that correction and accountability is adjust their course and get back onto what's really important. And, and when they do that, the rest of the building blocks, the things like unity, the things like what do we do with spiritual gifts, the things like how do we live you know, a sexually pure life or whatever, all the things that Paul's going to talk about for the rest of the letter will then fall in place for their lives and in like turn our lives. So this is why accountability, correction and encouragement are so vital. Paul yeah. models it, Jesus models it, and it's what we need to also be living by because without it, we we, we get isolated. Mm-hmm. And when you get isolated, things can go can go weird. Things can get dangerous. And that's why at, at Cornerstone, I think one of the things that we've you know really emphasized in the last year is accountability. Let's move it into an elder and a deacon structure as opposed to you know whatever structure we had before because we want to introduce more layers of accountability for not only for where we are right now, but where we will be in the future. Yeah. One of the overarching themes of the chapter again is unity. Mm-hmm. Stop dividing this congregation. Yeah. They're saying we're spiritually mature. Paul says your behavior says otherwise. Right. He uses their divisive behavior as exhibit A in the yeah. argument against <laughs> yeah. their spiritual maturity. Yeah. One of the questions that came in this week, yeah, the, there was someone specifically who asked this. texted us a question and said, why was there so much envy within mm-hmm. the Corinthian church? Yeah. And the answer is because there was spiritual immaturity and their immaturity led to the envy. In other words, the immaturity said, well, I belong to Apollos, you know, or I have a better gift than you. I'm a spiritual elite right. and you're not. I mean, things have devolved so much in the relationship that they're basically saying, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. We are spiritual elites. And Paul, we don't even think you are. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of where it's devolved to. Right. And Paul's like, wow, you're, you guys, you're acting like babies. Yeah. And this is not acceptable for people who have been saved this long. You're envious towards each other. Yeah. My spin on the question would be to ask something like this. What was the source of their envy? Yeah. I mean, I, I know it's because they're immature, yeah. but it was either socioeconomic envy. Sure. You know, there's some wealthier people in the congregation. Some- it, could, it could even be a projection of a false maturity. So we see this a lot online where people <laughs> oh, project a certain image yeah. on social media 
And then it mm-hmm. creates other people to be envious of a life that isn't real. It's not right. rooted in reality. Yeah. And I would imagine that has a lot to do with the envy that's here because the Corinthians are so puffed up. Yeah. They want everyone to know how mature and how yeah. serious they are and how wonderfully gifted they are. Yeah. And so then other people within the church are seeing the puffed up and not rooted in reality version <laughs> sure. and saying, I want that. I'm envious of those things that yeah. aren't real. Or to the flip side of the coin, there is somebody who's legitimate and they do have a wonderful life. And yeah, they've got issues, but they're they're just great people Yeah, because they have this life lived for Christ or whatever. And then there's other people who are kind of this fake thing who are like, well, why are you so special? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. then, and then the jealousy can even come from the yeah. other end. Right. And Paul's big overarching point is that envy reveals right. that you're immature. Right. Whatever the real source of sure. it was. And again, I think you make a great example. It is not a Facebook feed or an Instagram feed the very projection of We're all people. only posting the best things. <laughs> of course we are. Yeah, right? Of real. course we are. Why would we let anybody see the real life that we live, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it tends to make you see somebody's feet and say, wow, they get all the breaks. Mm-hmm. Wow, they're the beautiful they people. They have all the friends. Wow, they, yeah. they have all the friends. Look, they're sure. living a happy life, and I'm over here not living a happy life. Right. And wow, I wish I had their life. And what Paul's saying is, you know, that's, again, the world's, sure. that's the world's scheme play in there. Yes. Be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to circle back to what you said a moment ago. You know, we're going to be faithful. We're going to be available. We're going to be teachable. But here's what Paul keeps saying. It is the Spirit. That's right. It is the spirit that ma- it is God that makes the corn grow. I plant yeah. Yeah. Apollos waters, but it is God that makes the corn grow. Yeah, you don't farm. have any hand in that. None, none <laughs> of this is actually possible without <laughs> right. the work of God. Right. And that well, is something that when you just glance over, just take, take a physical copy of the Bible and just sure. glance over the words of chapter three, the amount of times that you see God in a possessive form is incredible. Yeah. You are God's field. You are God's coworkers. You are God's, God's building. building. You're just, God's just, temple. Just open the yeah. chapter and glance at it and see how many times the possessive form of God is there. Because it's incredible. He's, he's arguing against disunity. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Everything belongs to God. And if you belong to, to Christ, then you're back to Genesis 2. That's right. We're naked and unashamed. We're Liv- together. <laughs> living images of God. Yeah. Vassal kings of planet yes. Earth. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to. Therefore, you don't have to be envious of one another. Right. Listen, somebody doesn't have more than you. It's all yours right? in Christ. And yeah. there's the contextual. And again, that's that. a parallel of human wisdom versus godly wisdom. And yeah. I think, David, you had some thoughts about, yeah. about this parallel. Well, and I, so I just was thinking out like how loud as we were talking about this. What, what, how do we identify the world's wisdom and godly wisdom kind of on a daily basis? And I, I just became like just curious about this. And so we wrote up a little list of, of kind of the world's wisdom versus... God's wisdom. This is not an exhaustive list, but here's a couple things. The world's wisdom might be, you know, you have to get yourself ahead in your career or whatever it might be. God's wisdom is be servants. Yeah. It's totally different. And I'll just, I'll just keep going this way. Follow your heart. The Bible says, follow after God's leading. Know who you are. The Bible says, know who God is. Uh, the world's wisdom, you only live once, but God's wisdom is what you do in this life actually matters a great deal and it has eternal significance, whether you'll be connected with Christ eternally or separated from him eternally. I am the master of my own destiny. Well, but you have to put that in subjection to living for Jesus every day. We could just keep going yeah. on this list, but just even doing that little exercise yeah. begins to help me identify the ways that maybe I live by default. Yeah. 
Like, I, like in this situation, why am I upset with, you know, X, Y, and Z? Well, it's because maybe I've adopted a worldly wisdom where when I come home, let's just use an ex- a random example. When I come home, everyone's supposed to serve me. I've had a rough day at work and all blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. But that's the worldly wisdom speaking because what God's wisdom actually is, is submit to one another, right, serve one, love yeah. and serve yeah. one another. You know, what's incredible. Yeah. You know. So many of those examples you just gave are actually based in like Platonism that's and right. this like that's Greek right. philosophy that the Corinthians actually exactly were doing. Right. Isn't that incredible? It's their that the default things, mindset. Yeah. But it's our default mindset <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. We're not removed from these Greek philosophies. Right. We live it's, out a lot of them. Right. So then when he's talking about the worldly wisdom, it's the same philosophy. Yes. that we are constantly struggling that's exactly against. Right. One thing that comes to mind for me is when people talk about endless truth. Right. Hmm. And that you have a truth and That's you right. have a truth and I have a truth and we all have different Find truths. Your own truth. Yeah. As though God didn't reveal himself yeah. as, the, as truth, the truth. Right. As the compass <laughs> yeah. of morality and all that is right. And right. so it's just there's so many examples of yeah. moments where our philosophy actually matches the philosophy of this context as well. So when he's speaking against the wisdom of the world, we know that it's also our problem to deal with. Yeah. It's not just a Bible problem that happened a long time ago. It is very much a present reality for where we are. Yeah. Which really sets up the last thing I'd like to address. What you guys are saying right now is there is a reason we should be studying First Corinthians right. because this is very applicable yeah. to very us. Relevant. Right. Very relevant. You know, on the matter of divisions, maybe you're not dividing the congregation up according to pastoral leadership roles, but in a broad context, America has. Mm-hmm. Right. We are we are maybe one of the greatest examples mm-hmm. in church history yeah. of pursuing the big personality celebrity sure. pastor. America sure. is addicted to this right now. And Paul's speaking against this. And he's saying that local church in a community is God's temple. It's not about the men or women leading. It's about God and belonging to God. And so when we're reading 1 Corinthians, we're doing a lot of exegesis, which means we're trying to determine mm-hmm. the original meaning. Sure. And that's a lot of what we do as pastors. Yeah. We, have to, we have to dig and study and research culture and, yeah. and, and do lots of yeah. zero Corinthians background yeah. study. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We to, want to know the then and there. Because it cannot mean to us. Sure. What it did not mean to them, yeah, first right. of all. So once we have the exegesis right, the original meaning, hmm. now we can make the application to right to the here and now. Right now in yeah. Fort Worth, Texas, what does this look? What would be then the takeaway yeah. based on the original meaning? That's right. You know, one of the things that so Paul's saying, don't divide up, don't divide up, stay united, stay united, don't get into camps, right. don't get into right. camps. And I know Apollos is a great speaker. Yeah. But we're talking about Apollos or Paul. Why can't you have both? And I think yes. this is the argument yes. he's making. Yes. All things are yours. That's right. We're, we're all together. And when we get to chapter 12 and talk about spiritual gifts more, oh my goodness, yeah. you know, you're going to understand that he's going to use metaphors about every person in the church yeah. is it has the Holy Spirit and brings gifts to the table to make up the body and edify the body. And so on that takeaway, let me just, I want to read a paragraph. One of the trusted voices of our pastoral staff is, you know, we read a lot of theologians Mm -hmm. and I think uh, Fee is someone that we would mutually agree. This is a very sound, we love reading his stuff. Not that we don't. Yeah. We don't only read his Only read him. And we disagree with him once in a while. We read him critically. Critically. There you go. But he's fantastic on the point I'm about to make. Yeah. So based on 
this chapter of 1 Corinthians. I want you to listen to Gordon Fee's 2021 application. The Corinthian error is an easy one for us to repeat. Not only do most of us have normal tendencies to turn natural preferences into exclusive ones, but in our fallenness, we also tend to consider ourselves wise enough to inform God through whom he may minister to his people. Listen carefully. Our slogans, remember their slogans were, we belong to, we belong to things. Our slogans take the form of, I am of the Presbyterians. Mm -hmm. I am of the Pentecostals. I am of the Roman Catholics, or our slogans take the form of ideological forms. I am from the liberals, or I am from the evangelicals, or I am from the fundamentalists, or I am of the progressives. And these are also used as a weapon. Oh, he's a fundamentalist, don't you know? Oh, she's a liberal, don't you know? It is hardly possible in a day like ours that one will not have denominational, theological, or ideological preferences. The difficulty lies in our allowing that it might really be true that all things are ours, Mm. including those whom we think God would do better to be without. But God is full of surprises. The Eternal One may choose to minister to us from the least expected of sources, if we were but more truly in Christ and therefore free in him to learn and love. So Fee makes the application to this text that the modern application of what the Corinthians problem was is that we are too divisive. So to say, I am a follower of Campbell, I'm saying I am a church of Christ. Or I'm a follower, I am of the Wesley brothers. Sure. Methodist. Methodist. Or I am of Luther. Sure. Lutheran. You know, and and what Fee is saying is, is not this mistake been perpetrated by us again on a modern generation where we think, you know what? We are Baptists, therefore we are spiritual elites. Right. We have nothing to learn from the Pentecostals (laughs) or the Assembly of God. Listen, we have things to learn from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. If we believe the gospel to be central. We must not scorn other people yeah. who also believe the gospel is central. Wow. Yeah. And we must not, as I grew up hearing with my baggage, well, we're going to draw a line in the sand and we can't hmm. fellowship with people hmm. if they see things differently. You are doing exactly what Paul is speaking against right. now. And you're saying, I can't fellowship with this group because right. see, I'm divided over here into my little spiritual elite group. Now, again, we're going to have denominations. We're going to have groups. Sure. Yeah. But we want to, let's, rather than that being a hard line, yeah. I just look at our own congregation now and what's happened over the last decade as we've tried to apply some of these biblical principles to our church. Some people ask, are you non-denominational there at Cornerstone? No, be, not non, because even non-denominational is kind of a denomination right, in America. Right, right. But we've definitely become more interdenominational. Sure. We have people who worship here on Sunday. I had a conversation with someone who was raised in the Methodist tradition Sunday, mm-hmm. someone who's raised in a Catholic tradition church Sunday, someone who's raised in yeah, church Catholic, Christ. All over. Uh, all over. And those are wonderful, wonderful people who compose the body of Christ and yeah. who meeting together y'all are. 
the temple of God. Yeah, I'm reminded of one of our wonderful international partners, and I'll try to be not specific on purpose, but one of our wonderful international partners had a fantastic opportunity to reach people in a Pentecostal region. And he was told essentially that he'd be excommunicated from the Baptists of his country mm. if he were to go forward with reaching these Pentecostals. Bobby, you were there. Uh, sure. And, I, and I, I've been invited to preach revivals in the Pentecostal churches of some nations of Europe. Yeah. And prior to COVID shutting down travel, I was ready and prepared to do and would gladly, right. gladly go in fellowship with them. Right. But shouldn't our heart be to reach all those people? And sure. shouldn't our heart be to join in unity with our brothers and sisters that maybe we have a few theological disagreements on yeah. and hold hands and realize that, again, just like I think Paul would argue, the gospel is what's central, not the things that divide us. And that's exactly what Fee was just saying there. We want to elevate our preferences above the gospel, which is one of the big problems in 1 Corinthians. We're going to elevate our preferences above the gospel. It, and it'll get very clear in the coming chapters that's right. that that's what's happening. And yeah. when we do that, now all of a sudden we create arbitrary battle lines that are not there. Correct. And just like he said, hurling, you know, insults. Uh, at one to the another, other camp, to the other right? camp. As if they're enemy lines. And they're not enemy lines. They're not These enemy are lines. our brothers and sisters. That's right. Yeah. They believe the gospel just like we yes. believe the gospel. Yes. They see some things differently. Yeah. And doesn't your family kind of operate that way? Oh my goodness. Think of like a Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner, right? Yeah. You know? But yeah. that's a good metaphor, yeah. David. The family yeah. of God. Right. If you have family reunions with yeah. the family of God, all the crazy uncles and, and sure. are going to be there. And it's okay. It's yeah, just okay. Yeah. You tolerate your family yeah. <laughs> because they're family. And you're united by the fact that you are family. Your, right. your love is bigger than That's right. your differences. That's right. And really, I think Fee's made a great application for us, yeah. you know, to see, listen, let's just soften that harshness towards the other camps. Mm -hmm. And if we can agree with other groups that Christ is central and the gospel is central, some of the lesser things we could, we can work together without having to agree on 100% of everything. That's right. Wouldn't the world be a great place for Sheesh. making disciples if that were the case? It would yeah. definitely be the kind of world that Paul is fighting for right I now. Correct. So. Amen. I think so. What a great discussion, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in and for being a part of this conversation around the third chapter of 1 Corinthians. We'd love to keep the dialogue going. We'd love for you to be engaged as well as you can. So if you have any questions, feedback, comments, anything that you want to say that maybe we'll be able to address in a future podcast, if you would text those comments to 817-809-3040. We'd love to take the very best comments and implement them, integrate them into what we're talking about in future development of conversation. I hope you're also enjoying the video devotionals that have been going out on our social media pages. Those are wonderful ways to apply the truths to your life on a day-to-day -day basis. And then again, as always, all of our sermons from the Zero Corinthians series are available on our website at cbc.family media. Again, thank you so much for joining us. We can't wait to continue in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 next week.